When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The T-Biz Podcast delivers T-News that you need to know. A recap of the week's major headlines with commentary and cultural trends hosted by Dan Bolton. It is the voice of origin for tea professionals and enthusiasts worldwide. Tea nourishes and inspires. It is an ancient plant-based medicine that simultaneously heals and energizes the body as it soothes the mind. Making fine tea is a blend of artistry and craftsmanship. The $200 billion tea trade is fundamentally local, yet exerts global influence, employing millions to enhance the well-being of all. Hello, everyone. Here are this week's headlines. An Iran tea company is implicated in a $3.7 billion embezzlement scandal. A shipping shock as missile threat diverts Suez-bound tea cargo, and Malawi anticipates a steep decline in tea production. Plus, in 2023, the tea industry bid farewell to several notable figures. In this episode, we pay tribute to David C. Bigelow, Jr., an industry icon who died in June at 96. A member of the silent generation born in the Roaring Twenties, David was a World War II veteran and 1948 Yale University graduate who transformed the specialty tea segment. He steered a boutique tea blending business launched in his mother's kitchen into a multi-million dollar mass market brand. Joining us today is David's daughter, Cindy, President and CEO of Connecticut-based and family-owned R.C. Bigelow, a $250 million B Corp. known for innovations that redefined tea service and restaurants and grew the company to become the U.S. market leader in specialty tea. More in a minute, but first, this important message. What makes a perfect cup of Ceylon tea? The perfect cup is from the tea businesses that ensure the protection of all the children living within their tea estates. We salute Keilani Valley, Telawakili, Bogawanthalawa, Harana, and Eliptia Tea Estates. Support Save the Children, Sri Lanka. Alpa Ramini, the CEO of Iran's leading tea company, is under arrest. Accused of a five-year embezzlement scheme that generated $3.37 billion in ill-gotten gain. Privately held Debscht Agriculture and Industrial Group engaged in, quote, a large-scale financial malpractice, end quote, dating to the presidency of Hassan Rouhini in 2018, according to NCRI. The publication cited unnamed government sources. Quote, Several banks, institutions, and ministries, such as the Ministry of Industry, the Ministry of Agriculture, 
the Customs Administration, the Central Bank, the Trade Development Organization, and the regime's Food and Drug Administration have been implicated in this widespread corruption scheme, end quote, writes NCRI. Here's how it unfolded. Dempsey ordered grade one Darjeeling tea, paying $14 per kilogram to mislead resellers. In practice, it imported tea from Kenya and seconds from Iran that sold for $2 per gram, quote, with the Food and Drug Administration confirming the quality of the imported teas, end quote, according to NCRI. The company also bought domestically grown tea and, quote, re-imported it as expensive foreign grades. The tea was traded at the central bank's official exchange rate, known as the Nimi dollar, which values U.S. dollars at 37,000 tomans. Quote, a rate accessible exclusively to traders affiliated with the regime. This compares to the market exchange rate, which hovers around 50,000 tomans per dollar. Consequently, each dollar contributes approximately 13,000 tomans to the coffers of the regime's investors. When multiplied by the billions of dollars received in foreign exchange, this translates to an astronomical figure, writes NCRI. Iran's General Inspection Organization noted a spike in the annual budget, which usually allocates around $300 million for tea imports. The government's allocation for tea and tea processing equipment tripled in 2021, with $1.5 billion earmarked for machinery. Imports totaled 110,000 metric tons, about double the usual amount, quantity sufficient to depress sales of domestically produced tea. Quote, tea cultivators have suffered huge losses, end quote, writes Miriam Sokrani in the state-run Sarg newspaper. Mohammed Saadi Hassani, executive director of the Union of Northern Tea Factories, told NCRI the embezzlement scheme, quote, upset the market balance, confronted the industry with a crisis, and led to the accumulation of large volume of tea in warehouses, end quote. Akbar Romani is one of a group known colloquially in Iran as, quote, the smuggling brothers, end quote. They were implicated in another significant case related to irregularities in the import of paper at the Ministry of Culture and Islamic Guidance. The term smuggling brothers refers to organized groups exploiting state connections, particularly with the Revolutionary Guards, to conduct extensive trafficking to bypass international sanctions, end quote, according to NCRI. Judicial spokesman Masoud Staishi on December 5th said, quote, various collaborations have been made with this company and a significant amount of foreign exchange and national resources have been allocated. Other Islamic Republic officials implicated in the embezzlement, including Javad Stantehengdat, the Minister of Agriculture who resigned in April, governors of the Central Bank, chiefs of the Iranian Customs Administration, and others. Iran International reported that the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court said the government had dismissed 60 individuals in the case but later clarified that dismissals included those involved in non-related incidents. 
the court refused to name the suspected collaborators, several of whom are likely highly placed in the government of Supreme Leader Ali Khamenei. Iran's inspection organization revealed the irregularities on November 30th. Besides the aforementioned embezzlement, Rahimi may have traded $1.4 billion in foreign currency on the open market, the case against government bodies that had provided foreign currency for the firm is set to be sent to the Public and Revolution Court of Tehran for certain violations, according to IFP News. Houthi missile and drone attacks in the Red Sea are diverting ships laden with tea away from the industry's primary access to Europe, costing time and money. Passage through the 120-mile-long Suez Canal connecting Europe with Asia is one of the world's most important maritime choke points. A shipping crisis is unfolding at the southern strait called Baba Medem, the Gate of Tears. Yemen-based insurgents have deployed hundreds of drones and fired the first anti-ship ballistic missile to strike a commercial vessel, the Palladium III. This week's decision by all major shipping lines to bypass the Red Sea route will affect 53% of the global container trade. Dry bulk carriers, oil tankers, and smaller container ships will likely follow the lead. War risk insurance rates have spiked along with the price of oil. About 9.2 million barrels daily transit to canal, approximately 9% of global demand, and 4% of the world's liquid natural gas. The U.S., U.K., and French navies are providing escort with the USS Kearney downing a swarm of 14 drones last week. On December 17th, the Suez Canal Authority reported that 55 ships that were scheduled to transit the canal had been diverted. That same day, 77 ships passed through the canal, a much higher number than the 50-ship daily average. In 1869, when the 8-meter, 26-foot deep canal opened, the largest ship that could pass was 5,000 tons. But the cost of transportation and access to the Indian and Sri Lankan Marcus was far easier, making Suez a primary trade route for tea. Over 20,000 ships carrying approximately 12% of global trade each year pass through the Suez Canal, carrying 30% of all global container traffic and more than $1 trillion worth of goods. Business Insight Tea-bound for the U.K., Rotterdam, and German ports from the UAE, East Africa, and South Asia must now travel approximately 11,169 miles around Africa compared to the 6,436-mile journey via the Red Sea and Suez Canal. Ocean freight costs are between 2 and $4 per kilo now, about $3 per nautical mile. If you take the U.K. as an example, the country imports about 120,000 metric tons, and a container holds roughly 16 metric tons, so consumers drink about 7,500 containers yearly. Adding transit delays is costly. Operating a container ship 
costs between $25,000 and $85,000 per day, excluding fuel, which adds another $130,000 per day in costs. Malawi anticipates a steep decline in tea production. Malawi growers expect a significant decline in yield due to the extensive disruption caused by tropical cyclone Freddie. This exceptionally powerful and long-lived weather event with uh, wind speeds of up to 270 kilometers per hour resulted in $655 million in damage. It was the second costliest tropical cyclone ever recorded, killing almost 1,500 people. Tea Association of Malawi Chief Executive Officer Tonda Chenengawa said the production is expected to decrease from an average 45 million kilos to 42 million kilos this year. He told the Malawi News Agency the storm, which lasted more than five weeks in February and March 2023, lowered yields and changed normal rainfall patterns. Malawi mostly enjoys a tropical climate with seasonal rainfall. Tea thrives in wetter regions and the summer season when there is a lot of rainfall. Quote, Cyclone Freddy cut last season short in early March, which impacted yield for about six months as bushes lost condition, writes Satemwa Tea Estates planter Alexander Kay, a third-generation Malawi tea farmer. The tea harvest in the southern hemisphere begins in the third quarter. Quote, the main CTC season is getting underway after recording hot conditions in October and November. This hot, dry period provides perfect conditions to make aromatic, colory teas, which are finding a growing market in the specialty space. Kay writes, quote, with the beginning of the rains, the production focuses on green and black teas before the quality changes to thicker liquoring and colory types in the February flush. Quote, the East African region finds itself in a massively oversupply situation. Still, opportunities for Malawi teas exist with the high theoflavin levels and deep red colors of some varieties sought by discerning buyers, end quote, writes Kay. Malawi exported 79.8 million worth of tea in 22, ranking 15th in value among the world's tea-producing countries. The country was among the fastest-growing tea exporters from 21 to 2022, gaining 8.8% in value and exporting 1% of total tea exports by value. Shinigawa said the tea industry is confronting issues arising from the escalating cost of raw materials for production and the influence of climate change, which disrupts the timing of the planting season. Business Insight Planter Alexander Kay writes that in Malawi, quote, there has not been the rush to extend areas under tea seen in other African tea producer countries, with the focus of many of the players on improving quality and productivity. End quote. To remedy some of the challenges facing the Malawian tea industry today, a combination of producers, traders, buyers, and trade unions 
established the Malawi Tea Revitalization Program in 2020. Next, Arvinda Anantharaman in Bengaluru presents this week's India Tea News. India Tea News for the week ending December 22, 2023. There's not much to report this week. It's been a quiet week as we wind down the year. But uh, already there are things to look forward to. In January, the big news, of course, is that Assam which completes 200 years of tea this year, has announced the Bicentenary Assam Tea International Conference 2024. This is going to be a two-day event and will take place on 29th and 30th of January at Guwahati in Assam. And it's being organized by the Government of Assam along with the Tea Board of India, the Tea Research Association and the Ministry of Commerce and Industry. And it'll take place just ahead of the Intergovernmental Group of Group on Teas meeting, which is also being held at Guwahati being hosted by India this year. Registrations are now open and the event includes conferences and discussions on technology, climate change, new opportunities, etc. All of this are which are of great interest to the, the industry at the moment. And uh, also speaking for Sam, as we close 2023, GTAC of the Gauhati Tea Auction Center has established its position as the second largest auction center in the world after Kenya. And for the financial year, April 2023 to March 2024, the center has already sold 115 million kilos of tea, averaging prices of just short of 200 rupees a kilo. And the total value sold so far through the auction is about 200 million US dollars. And that's it in news this week. And uh, we will see you in the new year. Happy New Year, everyone. Take care. And now, a word from our sponsor. Hello, I'm Bogdan, a passionate tea drinker and the inventor of the ultimate tea machine, the Brewmaker One. Preparation is key to making fine tea. Sequential steepings deliver the best taste possible and unlock the true value of whole leaf teas and botanicals. Brew automates that process without using any pots or capsules. This simple to operate smartphone control device stores steeping profiles to consistently make great tea at the push of a button. Brew also reduces time, waste and energy. That's because I engineered the brew to remember control settings for temperature, brewing time and quantity. Using my patented process lets you stack steep, simply, and conveniently. In 2023, the tea industry bid farewell to several notable figures. In this episode, we pay tribute to David C. Bigelow, an industry icon who died in June at 96. A member of the silent generation born in the Roaring Twenties, David was a World War II veteran and a 1948 Yale University graduate who transformed the specialty tea segment in the U.S. He steered a boutique tea blending business launched in his mother's kitchen into a multi-million dollar mass market brand. Joining us today is David's daughter, Cindy, president and CEO of Connecticut-based and family-owned R.C. Bigelow a $250 million B Corp 
known for innovations that have redefined tea service in restaurants and innovations that have grown the company to become the U.S. market leader in specialty tea. The 55 million members of the silent generation were hardworking and humble. Survivors of the Great Depression and the horrors of war, they were careful with their money, patriotic and ambitious. The generation displayed characteristics of thrift, simplicity, patience, and a need for financial security and comfort. Cindy Bigelow is the second generation to lead Bigelow Tea, founded in 1945 by her grandmother, Ruth C. Bigelow. During her years as chief executive, sales have increased from $94 million per year in 2005 to more than $250 million. Bigelow Tea produces more than 2 million unit boxes of tea annually and employs 450 people. Thank you so much, Cindy, for joining us today. I speak for many who admired your father for his business success, the life he shared with your mother Eunice, the family he reared, his philanthropy, and the quiet impact he exerted at a time of transformation in specialty tea. He was a man who led by example. I just hope to share with the world, especially those that are in the, the, the tea sphere, to get to hear the story of how my father and my family were so influential to where the specialty tea category is today. Let's begin the interview there. Could you talk about his role in expanding distribution and pricing he pioneered a way of looking at tea that forced it up higher on the shelf in grocery stores. There was always an expensive tea from England, but this isn't an import. This is a tea blended in the United States, and your dad was doing something quite extraordinary. Well, first, Dan, it goes back to just him expanding the specialty tea category. Um, I mean, you have to remember, with my grandmother started, it was really just one tea that sold in this country. She is the one that introduced specialty tea when she created Constant Common in her kitchen. She then also was the individual that expanded it to include many different flavors. Now, all of those teas were sold in the gift shops. When my father took over, I think he really modified the, the tea offerings in the specialty tea category, both in the vehicle of which it was going to be presented, as well as the flavor profile. Uh, he was the one that transitioned it into the grocery store and really had to build an entire shelf presence. And it was really with his broker team and distributor team that they were able to carve out any space in the specialty tea category. And it was priced uh, at a premium level, uh, simply because it was not a commodity tea and there was a lot more that went into it. And, but it was a very slow build. Uh, it was really his tenacity that is why we're still in the business today and why we're now number one. Because, uh, you know, when it started, you know, no one even knew what specialty tea was. No one wanted to spend that kind of money for it. So they had to go through all kinds of creative ways to keep it on, get it on the shelf and then keep it on the shelf. And again, it was completely new in the industry. In 1945, a two and a quarter ounce jar of constant comment 
sold for less than 75 cents, a premium price point at that time. The price had more than doubled by 1960 at a very early stage of consumer awareness of the specialty tea category in retail. R.C. Bigelow blends were top shelf packed in tins with premium Ceylon tea and ingredients. Sales, however, were a modest one million in comparison to the commodity brands. By 2005, under David Bigelow's leadership, sales had increased to nearly 100 million as the brand transformed into food service and a mass market favorite that retained its appeal as a premium blend. Well, it wasn't until the 70s that my parents started to put the product into foil um, and then the folding cartons that went along with that on the shelf. And that really started because, again, under my father's watch, he was the one that forayed into the food service arena with the individual product uh, tea, tea bag. And he had been at the University, I think, of Hawaii, and they had our product in loose bags in a basket. And he came back and said, that just doesn't seem like the right way to be able to sell it. So they found a, a company that could put it in foil. It was not ever done before. And we started producing foil-wrapped tea bags that were going into boxes that we could then sell in the food service arena. And that's when he realized, this is going to revolutionize the the tea industry, if we can get this on the retail shelf, because you're right, you can bring the ring down. So it's a little bit within reach of what you want, you know, everyone to enjoy a cup of tea, which is still our motto to this day. We want everyone to be able to afford a cup of Bigelow tea, but it still was premium. Right. So he moves us into foil in order to be able to handle the food service arena. Brilliant at the time. Only one that did it. This is why we're the first one into the food service marketplace away from home marketplace. And then with that, recognizing that these cartons and foil individual wrap could could make a big difference uh, on a grocery shelf. And so they started in Arizona, and they tested it down there. It was a huge hit. Sales went up three times. And from there, it was rolling it around, rolling out throughout the country, uh, which was a complete shift in the organization. We went from pneumatic machines to these EMA machines and Constanza machines. So he, he completely revamped the organization in the 70s and early 80s. Something else he did to encourage the selection of tea was to put those foil packs in tea chests on the counter or to have waitresses bring them to the table where they would say, please choose from our selection of fine tea. There may have been a choice of eight or ten in the chest. He had a great team of people. One of them was named Arnie D'Angelo, who also passed away a few years ago was brilliant. He he led under my father's watch the, the the food service development and he is the one that created this tea chest, which again completely revolutionized the away right. from home, the restaurant business, right. um, the catering business, everything about it. And so yeah, I mean they were not afraid to really push into industries with with tools, with products, with packaging that had not been seen before. And again, one of the points of this article is to just let people understand the impact that he and his team, he would always say that, he and his team. If anything, if he knew I was giving this interview and I was using his name and not every single person that did all the work, he would be very upset with me, Dan. But it's under his leadership, it's under his yes, it's under his pushing, underneath under his drive, that all of these things 
transform the tea business. So who do you pal around with? Was it the guys at the grocery chains like Kroger and uh, A&P? Well, actually, it, believe it or not, they're big pals with the distributors and the bloggers. Okay. So Katie, huge. Uh, down in uh, Florida, uh, I can't think of the names of all the distributors and brokers. They were so close, so close. Uh, also, um, the tea industry, they had really good friends in the tea industry. Uh, right. The Lazars, stole string, although we never bought any spring, string from them, which I love. Uh, so, you know, but their, their, their relationships, because they were always at the broker trade shows, the distributor shows, were the brokers and the distributors. They, you know, my father was a, was a wonderful man, and networking wasn't part of his MO. And I always admired that about him. And so, you know, he let the brokers and distributors do the work. He believed in letting them take the lead and them do what they're, they're strong at. And he made, he wanted to make sure they were educated, they knew who we were, and then let them go sell. We help listeners understand the breakthrough years when Bigelow expanded from a niche gift shop and regional brand to reach markets in the big cities and eventually saturation across the country. We weren't dominant anywhere in the 60s. I mean, we right. had no sale. Right. So we were right. in California. That was a big market for us. Uh, it was it was national, but if you have no sales and then you dilute it into the big cities, there's even less sales in all the big cities. We were in gift shops in the 60s around the country. That's where we were. So, And we were on university campuses. A lot of the kids enjoyed uh, Constant Comet. That was the big thing back then. It was like cool to drink Constant Comet. But again, I am talking so small. Right. The sales were so small. In 1985, we achieved one year $20 million in sales in 1985. Uh, so we were uh, a very small company in the 60s. I don't know how big we were. Million, million and a half, maybe. There was a breakout, though, late in the 80s. Yeah, part of that growth was the uh, the folding cards, using car uh, boxes on the shelf. That's when the, it trans really completely transferred from uh, late 70s to early 80s. And at that point, we took off because we were now very shelvable, stackable. You have a price that was more uh, price thoughtful to the consumer. So, and then there was line extensions. So, you know, my father really got into the herbals um, in the eighties, expanded the green teas in the nineties. There wasn't even any green teas out there. Bigelow tea is the one that put green tea on the shelf. Think about that and think about the trajectory of green tea for years. I still think it is such a great product to consume. It is so helpful. But to be honest, there are many green teas out there that are very hard for the average consumer to enjoy. We are very blessed that our green tea is number one. Uh, we have a 40% share. And that is because we believe that our taste profile is a very drinkable, enjoyable tea. Eighties and 90s was a real rocking time for us, for sure. Truth be told, Mo Siegel started the herbal business with the launching of social seasoning. You know, he used to climb up the mountains and pick the herbs as the story goes. He started, he pioneered the the, the uh, herbal category. You know, my father looked at it and wasn't quite sure. <laughs> is this where we want to be? What is this? Because he was a tea guy. He was a Camellia Sinensis guy. Uh, and you know, Camellia Sinensis people are Camellia Sinensis focused. And so... He, you know, waited a few years and then really 
you know, with good counsel, he said, you know what, I do think we want to get into the herbal arena. Today, the herbal category is the largest category in the specialty tea, hovering at almost 60%. So uh, we are the number two player. We're number one in the tea arena. We're number one specialty tea, the number one tea. But in the herbal subset, we are number two, but, you know, gaining and getting a lot of attention for the good herbs that we are launching in that arena. Uh, they are experimental. They do like new relevant products. And so, again, my father's foray into the foil, which protects the volatile oils, whether it's the camellia sinensis or the volatile oils of the chamomile or a mint. That's what gives you the health profile. That's what gives you the taste profile. So putting that into the foil allowed us to put those kind of mints in there, protect them from losing it, getting exposed to light, air, moisture. And so when we did move into the uh, herbal category, we were able to, you know, move in in a big way. And it's a big part of our business now. So let's talk about his character. David's admirable in part because of context as these guys were beaten down by the Depression and fall of war. The survivors came home, earned degrees, started businesses, built companies, and prospered. The death and destruction, fears and dreams and experiences changed their point of view and made them better human beings. In the family business, you describe your dad as a mentor, someone you admire. That's a good starting point. Well, I just think, you know, watching him in action watching him listen to people, watching him ask questions, watching what an amazing conversationalist he was, watching how how much fairness meant to him, you know, making sure everybody has a voice, watching his reaction if he was getting what he considered to be an untruth or sort of a slippery slope answer. Um, you know, all of those are really what formed who I am today, uh, having a father who wasn't greedy, having a father that didn't focus on on uh, making money, uh, having a father who never talked about money, you know, a father that would, would be generous with you, but just was overall all, uh, careful with the dollar. I, and I don't want to say that in a way that he was afraid to spend it, but he just, he just didn't. He didn't need to. He didn't need to buy a lot of things. You know, we had one car. It was a nice car. Yeah, I remember when we got our Lincoln Continental. It was so fun in the 70s. He thought it was all that. He was very proud of himself for the Lincoln Continental. And, um, yeah, it's just, he just, he just, in his own way, I didn't know any better. I observed and I watched. He was always there whenever I needed somebody, something. You know, so that's how I've tried to be with my own family. That phone rings. I picked that phone up. They want me to drive up. They want me to go somewhere. They want me to fly something. I do whatever it takes. It does, you know, family first. And I learned that from him. I, I learned that from him. You know, I run this company where it isn't about making money. For me, I just don't know. I mean, I, you have to make money. You have to be able to buy things. I learned that from him. He cared about his neighbors, the local community, local schools. He established a local foundation to support local causes. We kick out about 800000 a year. He, he loves to share the story that uh, we had started the Bigelow Tea Community Challenge 35, 36 years ago. He was really motivated by that. It, he said, you know, I'm watching my daughter give so much money back to the community and really build a build this community around this event. He said, I want to do it in a bigger way. 
And so not in a competitive way, I just want, I need to do in a big way is what I should say, not a bigger way. And so he really started to uh, put funds in place that he were, was able to distribute out back to the community with the largest being a Bridgeport school system. So yeah, for a good 20 years, he has been very, very philanthropic. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's very, he's very sweet to talk about what triggered him. You know, he, he was not a man of an ego, right? So he said, I like what she's doing. I want to do that too. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, and it became a big part of my parents' life. And it's something that they're very proud of. And it is a great legacy. And it will continue. Uh, the foundation will continue uh, focusing on education in the, in the Connecticut Bridgeport focused area. So, but yeah, he really did love that. He would always so impressed. He would go, whether it's the uh, uh, high schools, we'd be putting on performances and they would be funding the costumes and the lighting and the music. And he would be so proud when he came back about what he saw and always so impressed with the students. And he would go to the STEM programs, the robotics, the girls at code and, uh, and my mother as well. They were so touched what they saw in the community and they got to see firsthand and he got to see firsthand before he passed for many years the the good work of his foundation he made a difference in his 96 years in t and he leaves a legacy in your work oh my god everything i do rests on the shoulders he's the first one to tell you everything we do is off the shoulders of somebody else and you need to honor that um but you know for me i think your original question is you know always like being the daughter you know, he did do it all in the same vein. He wasn't a different guy in the office that he was at home. He did have a little bit of a temper for either one. Um, but he, he he saved that to when he was nervous, when he thought you weren't telling him the truth. Uh, but he just was, you know, a very kind individual that was very engaged. Anything you, you want to say, you know, I always knew he had my back. He was always there for me. But at the same time, the company felt the same way. I never felt shortchanged, not for a minute, not for a minute. And I don't think in a bit the company certainly felt shortchanged. They felt loved by both my mother and my father. And so it truly was a family. I mean, I didn't know any better. It was a family business. I was very little wearing an outfit and handing out Christmas presents, as was my sister, to everyone at the Christmas party. And my mother used to say to me, you have to stop kissing everyone. You're just going to get sick. So I didn't know anything else except for a family business uh, that was embraced with love by my father and my mother. He loved tea. He loved tea in a, in a passionate way that... I don't know if I'll ever be able to do it like he did. I mean, he reminds me of Dilma. Just he just was that passionate about the product, right? I'm consider myself more of a businesswoman, uh, and who loves tea, uh, and I think I'm pretty good with tea. But he he was a tea person that ran a business. Different story. Um, so yeah, I was very lucky. I was very lucky. I could not have had. You know, I was very fortunate to have good schooling leading up to me starting in the company. But nothing changes what I would learn from him on a daily basis, you know, nothing. He was a great teacher. Intrigued by what you heard in today's podcast? Would you like to learn more from our global network of T-Biz journalists and tea experts? Remember to visit the T-Biz website for more comprehensive coverage that's www.t-bizbiz.com. Thanks for listening. Farewell till next week.
Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.